Gemmable Mechanisms, the uh, podcast from BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT. My name's Brian Runciman. I'm talking today to Sarah Burnett, who I've, I've known for quite some time. And I know Sarah is a big expert in the AI area. And another reason I know that is that today we're talking because shortly she's got a, a book coming out uh, being published by us here at BCS uh, called The Autonomous Enterprise. So first of all, welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Now, uh, let's start off, shall we, uh, just talk a bit about you, if that's all right. Tell us a little bit about your background and what's led you to this point in your career. Certainly, yes. So I started uh, by studying applied physics at university in the early 80s. I managed to, somehow I managed to get a couple of degrees in that. And uh, I left and joined a technology company as a graduate engineer. And I've worked in IT ever since. Uh, the last eight of those uh, I've spent as an industry analyst working in the field of intelligent automation, which is the technology that companies use to automate their business processes. I, I suppose it is one of the last things to be automated. You know, we have seen manufacturing, agriculture, all of those things. And now we're talking about office work being automated, knowledge work. And you know, having studied this field and seen how companies are using it, uh, the technology, and a lot of it is powered by AI, and also seeing the remarkable results that they were getting, that, you know, it just dawned on me that we're basically heading towards the autonomous enterprise. And so here we are, uh, leading me to the book. Excellent. That's really interesting. Now, do you, do you consider it to be AI or machine learning or, or are these sorts of distinctions immaterial as far as you're concerned? I think it's immaterial because there are different kinds of AI. Um, and, you know, in the book, I give the example of symbolic AI, good old fashioned AI, which is being complemented by machine learning as well. So there are different kinds of AI, but it's the increasing intelligence in machines, really, uh, that I think is the what is powering the developments of course you know deep learning is i think has made a huge difference yeah um, when you um obviously talk to a lot of um, companies about um automating their operations do you find that the view of ai that's sort of put forward in the media in the mainstream media um and perhaps even the a lot of the sort of rather optimistic thinking even in the it arena affects people's expectation of what can actually do. Yes, absolutely. I think bad news basically sells, doesn't it? Mm. And so we tend to get the negative stories when things go terribly wrong. Um, that tends to be in the mainstream media. I think the industry has very good media and they do some very, they provide some very good coverage of developments as well. Um, I think we all have a tendency, being technologists, we all love to, uh, you know, uh, look ahead and perhaps sometimes jump ahead uh, of where we are in the development cycle. So there is always a bit of hype. And uh, what I'd like to see all of us, including myself, you know, we should really ask more searching questions. We should challenge some of the claims and try and look beyond the hype. Uh, and that's what I tried to do by in my research by interviewing the users of these technologies mm. and seeing actually what are they achieving and the it was the incredible results that they were getting that convinced me that the road ahead is definitely towards that autonomous enterprise and it's not going to be overnight this is a journey we are on 
And it's important that people understand it. They understand where it's heading, how we're going to get there. And what does it mean mean for humans? You know, it doesn't mean no work for humans. And I cover all of that in the book. So can you give me some, you know, not too many, we don't want to give away what's in the book, but some, some examples of some good stuff that you've seen, because obviously we're at the very early stage of this sort of development, aren't we? Absolutely, yes. So at the moment, it's very much... Uh, automating bits of business processes in different ways. So if you're using uh, structured data, which comes through transactions, you know, that's if it hasn't already been automated through some kind of software platform, uh, you know, in a digital way, then you might be wanting to connect the dots, you know, sort of join one bit of process that's done on one system with another. And this is very much in the sort of legacy systems integration. But there are, you know, intelligent automation technologies allow you to do those kinds of things quicker. Um, Then there is the unstructured data processing, which comes in the shape of documents, voice, images, etc. That's really where the biggest developments are happening because of AI, because, you know, we have got computer vision, we've got more voice capabilities. I mean, we can all see it for ourselves, can't we, on our phones and even on our computers. I now dictate most of my uh, documents. I don't actually type very much anymore. Um, And that's these are all advances. You know, the quality, uh, the improvements that we're seeing have all been happening in the past few years. So that's the way the pace of change is speeding up. So we'll be able to do more of each process, you know, not just this bit, not just that bit, you know, joining those and going end to end. And I think that's where we get eventually we'll get to the autonomous enterprise. So in terms of examples, you know, we're seeing uh, better procurement services because um, the ability to instantly update multiple systems and then see what's happening. And particularly today with the you know, supply chain issues, actually being able to understand where the glitches in the processes are and then being able to iron those out through automation. Uh, and other areas is particularly in customer care. You know, we're seeing we all know how long it takes to get a phone call answered when you ring somewhere. Being able to augment your staff because nobody has money to pour into contact centres. You know, mm. hire, it's impossible to hire more and more staff, but you can automate and increase capacity that way. In fact, make it flexible capacity so it can go up and down according to demand. Yeah, interesting. So. Uh, I'd like to ask you, um, maybe maybe this is a step backwards again, you know, what motivated you to, to, to leap on this subject? Was it you just saw a gap there? You could just see what was coming down the line? What, what was your motivation? Well, it was actually, to tell you the truth, because I was an analyst, I could go and visit companies that were doing incredibly leading edge stuff. And it was just so exciting. I just had to tell the story, you know. Okay. Uh, not only was I seeing, because I work with a lot of the software vendors, um, not only was I seeing what they were doing, but then the users who were implementing these technologies and really sort of leaping over competition. Um, and the fact that, you know, it is going to affect people one way or another. So in some industries, I think we'll end up losing jobs when others will be creating jobs. So it's about understanding how the dynamics are changing and what we need to do, what we need to do to prepare for this. And as organisations become more automated, what does it mean for them in terms of 
recruitment, skills development, succession planning. You know, these are the things that I talk about in the book. Excellent. Now, I, I just want to just pick up on your point about the um, the careers possibilities, I suppose, the, the new sort of careers. What, what, what sort of things can you see coming up? We, we've heard re- in recent years about AI ethicists, for example, being more having, having more um, profile in organisations. What other things do you think are, are coming in that area? Well, I think uh, generally there'll be many more jobs in technology anyway because of demand. Um, and so uh, I think we need to raise the skills levels, mm. uh, the skill levels of everyone, because, you know, technology is now such an inherent part of our lives and businesses. So that's one thing. And to do that, we need more teachers who are skilled in that space. We need more educational courses. Uh, You know, I mean, people talk about perceptions of AI, you know, led by movies like Terminator and so on. You know, Uh, we need to educate people that actually it's an everyday thing. We are already using it extensively. We don't even realize it. So that's one thing. Then there is there are going to be new jobs because with AI, you need to plan that customer journey, that user journey. So there are going to be a lot of creative roles um, because people need to understand what kind of experience are you giving the end user? What kind of experience are you giving the to the users of the finished product, whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's a customer dialing and chatting to a chatbot, which you know, at the moment, some of those are dire, aren't they? Let's face it. Yes. But as things get better, you know, where is that sort of journey going to end? What kind of experiences are we giving our customers? Um, so a lot of creative roles. And I think there'll be, apart from the technology side, there will be a whole load of new jobs. I mean, just look at um, the way that people are crying out at the moment for uh, drivers. They're crying out for people to work in the hospitality sector. And mm. that area itself is developing and evolving because of AI. You know, So we're going to have a lot more uh, virtual reality type events, a lot more deeper experience type events, you know, mm. and all of those will need staffing. Uh, another example is uh, what I call fidgetal, which is combining digital with physical experiences what we're seeing is phone companies offering tickets to gigs so you know being able to join up the services so that you know so you'll need people who can manage these kinds of offers and take them from end to end and not make a mess of it can you imagine if somebody got tickets for a much loved gig much anticipated gig and then it fell through at the last minute for some glitch you know so and AI itself will need supervising you know I give in the book I have four case studies four named case studies and one of them is with a local authority that is constantly updating its virtual the virtual agent that it's put on its website because requirements change so during the COVID pandemic they've had to literally at short notice update the knowledge of this chatbot this virtual agent Mm. to deal with new questions and new requirements and that is giving them capacity so but the updating is being done by the customer contact folks so not technology people but you know people who know have learned have been taught how to change this um uh, robot effectively and so managing changes etc so there'll be 
jobs for humans. And, you know, there'll be new jobs as well. I mean, a few decades ago, my job didn't exist. Industry analyst. Uh, who, I, uh, I didn't as a child, I didn't think I'd grow up and be an industry <laughs> analyst, nor data science. Who knew data science yeah. would be such a big thing? Yeah, not many people on um, um, uh, the the popular uh, programs talk about wanting to grow up to be a, an analyst today. So uh, maybe they will from now on, uh, Sarah. Now uh, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to test the um, the um, Teams algorithm here because you said fidgetal, so it spelt it P H Y G I T A L. How did it do? H Y G I T A L. How do you visualise that word? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very, good. very good teams. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. Mm -hmm. That's a thumbs up then. Um, let me ask you a question about the um, benefits, uh, measurable benefits that we might have seen so far. So again, this might be early stage, but um, has there much work been done on when, for example, we've got some intelligent agents or some robot process automation going on in an organisation, a measure of the actual cost savings that have, that have accrued? Yes, yeah, so the the figures that we get tend to be in terms of percentages, percentage right. returns on investment, and some of these are phenomenal. I mean, you know, um, you could be getting upwards of sixty percent return on your investment, um, and of course, a lot of this is um, the kind of cost savings that you can count. You know, there's a lot of subjective stuff as well, mm. uh, like reducing employee attrition because they're so fed up with whatever it is they're doing. Uh, so once you make their life easier at work, you would stop them from leaving, you know, and that's another very important thing to think about, particularly now in the sort of big resignation era. Um, so there are various studies by analyst firms that show the total cost, you know, economic um, results that companies have achieved with intelligent automation in particular. And honestly, the figures are breathtaking. Some of them are reporting something like two, three hundred percent savings. So I talk about, unfortunately, step change is a, is a, is a phrase that's used too often in, the, in this <laughs> industry, but it is truly a step change. Yeah. Interesting. What about the the softer sort of impacts as well? Is your and, and this is going to be subjective, I know, but is your feeling that um, people are being freed up to be a bit more creative in their roles because some of those, uh, you know, traditionally rather repetitive tasks are being taken away? Do you get that feel from organisations you talk to? Yes. Yeah, so very early on, in one of my visits to a company that had deployed this, uh, one of these um, that was at the time that was robotic process automation, which sounds intelligent but it wasn't intelligent mm. back then um they had developed it for a team they had developed robots software robots that these the team members could activate when they wanted to and they were doing it with absolute delight they were given they'd given these robots names and they were like another team member they were saying oh that bit okay we'll get charlie to do it and charlie was the robot you know um and yes so it was taking away the most mundane repetitive work from that group of uh people who were working in that team and they loved it of course there is a risk that that will be used then to reduce the number of staff and we can't get away from that you know money talks doesn't it yeah. um, but you know i think uh, the jobs market is a very complicated space and it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, this will 
could translate into massive job losses because of you know other factors that are at work we're seeing those today aren't we in the pandemic yeah yeah I wonder if there's um you'd like to comment on whether there's lessons to be drawn from the from the past in AI I mean our um the magazine that probably this will appear in IT now we started publishing this computer bulletin back in 1957 and I often go back into the archives and AI was mentioned very early on but of course there's been a couple of quite well documented AI winters <laughs> Are there things to be learned from those events now as we as absolutely yes yes so i believe those happened because of hype again the over promise and under delivery mm. and a lot of that was related to the research funding drying up you know uh, and uh, i think we are at risk of that today with um ai there's a kind of gold rush particularly in california it's like history repeating itself but in mm. some other way in a silicon valley um and we have seen some ridiculous valuations of startups um, with money pouring. I, I give some data about the amount of venture capital investment, private equity investment is utterly ridiculous. It's great from the industry point of view because we keep keep pushing uh, the boundaries and researching and developing. But it's that they will want some kind of return at the end. And those could take time to come through and we could very well face another AI winter. Let's hope it doesn't happen. The difference this time is we have much better infrastructure. You know, we have cloud, we have uh, compute capacity on demand and we're much better at, although we still have a long way to go, we're much better at handling data as well. So let's hope that will counter the, the greed that is driving some of the massive valuations and investments. My, my feeling has always been, and I, I'd welcome your view as an expert here, that um, the, the problem is often the, the difference in perception between AGI and narrow AI. We're talking about narrow AI stuff that does specific things really, really well, aren't we? Is, is yeah. that largely the, the cause of the misconceptions? Yes, I think in public, in the public space where, uh, you know, company people associate AI with physical beings of some mm. kind, physical mm entities of some kind definitely agi is still science fiction yes you know? yeah. um we're talking about narrow ai you train ai to do a specific thing and it does that it can't go beyond it that's why if you ring a contact center and you get an it answer the call answered by a robot uh, it can only handle a limited conversation unless it's been trained for a bigger group of topics it can only handle a limited conversation and you see the limits of it very quickly if you ask a complicated question and you're passed, hopefully you're passed to an agent then. It is limited. It's trained for a certain thing. I was listening to a broadcast recently and somebody said, you know, you can't make um, sort of a fracture more complicated if you're having uh, AI scanning, you know, x-rays and CT scans and so on. Medicine and one of the most complicated subjects ever. And you can have, you know, in my book, I have a case study uh, with Royal Berkshire Hospital where they're using um, AI to augment uh, decision making about what's the, what damage has been caused by a particular type of stroke. And this AI can only help with that particular type of stroke, mm. not another type. Mm. And it's definitely there as a... Um, decision support tool and not as a general uh, as a GP not as a anyway as a specialist well it is a specialist in a very very narrow specific space 
uh, and that's what it's been trained for. So you can't use it to find tumours. You can't use it to find strokes at the back of the brain, you know. Yeah. And that's the important thing. It's narrow. It's applying to a specific requirement. So you seem to have a quite a nice balance here, Sarah, between enthusiasm and pragmatism. Yes. Which has come across nicely. You definitely need that. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, and also set realistic targets, you know, set realistic and define the problem really well or you get nonsense, you know. Um, That is really important. Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out still applies, basically. Yeah. The danger is the garbage out could be quite big. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, um, your enthusiasm has really come across and we, we appreciate chatting. So I've got, I've got one more question for you, which is uh, hopefully people are listening now and thinking, OK, I've got the enthusiasm. Where shall I go next? Say, w- what are some easy early wins to to get some of this automation going in your enterprise if you're at the early stage of your journey? And what would you recommend? So I think um, there is one area which is not new you know analytics that's been going for decades and now we can run you know we can run various machine learning algorithms to get um, more instant more results um, dynamically and uh, we're seeing some fantastic work going on for example you know there are supermarkets that run uh, those kinds of algorithms hundreds if not millions of times thousands if not millions of times a day to be ordered to manage their stock levels and make sure that food rotates through quickly and doesn't get old, sit on the shelves, you know. And there's one company, uh, Okado, reports that it's significantly reduced its food waste through this kind of uh, analytics capability. Uh, Another area is just pick a very simple task that is maybe a problem. Perhaps you have a backlog of cases to process or perhaps you're running out of capacity at peak times uh, or a process that simply takes too long. So have a look at which parts of those can be automated using a mixture of virtual agents to handle, you know, incoming calls from uh, or document processing, intelligent document processing solutions that can read and distill the, you know, capture the information that you need. Uh, to just very simple automations, you know, like robotic process automation. Uh, But start small, fail fast and learn from your failure. Uh, One example is uh, a bank that I, you know, interviewed a number of times about various projects that they were doing. They wanted to onboard their customers faster. The onboarding process, because of know your customer um, uh, procedures that they have to do, was taking a couple of weeks at Mm. least they've managed to reduce that to about 10 minutes. So, okay. yeah, yeah, so that is the difference. You know, you being able to get that customer on board and the money in and be able to upsell and cross-sell to them a lot quicker than your competitors. Excellent. That's really interesting. Actually, I lied. I have one more question for you. Sure. Um, <laughs> I want to know your inspirations, uh, Sarah. I'd like to ask this all, all our guests because we get ideas for other people to read or or follow or whatever. Who are your inspirations in IT or AI or, or whatever, really? My inspirations, as in a personal hero of some yeah, kind. Yeah, personal heroes. Maybe you've got a few or one. or. I've always been inspired by Dame Stephanie Shirley. Uh, in fact, I worked for her company when it was called F International, FI. Oh. Okay. Uh, and I loved what she did. So 
not directly related to AI, but encouraging me uh, and enabling me. I was able, because of her work, I was able to carry on working when I had children and I was able to pick and choose when I worked and the hours that I worked. Uh, and, you know, with that, that kind of thing, I would have had to give up and, you know, take a few, quite a few years off. Um, so she's one of absolutely my inspiration. But also, I think all the women that are helping with uh, organisations like BCS Women, you know, people like Andrea Palmer, um, mm. my fellow committee members, we, you know, they put in so much effort and don't ever really want any limelight either. Lovely. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Uh, can I say thank you so much for speaking to us uh, today? A really enjoyable conversation. I think this podcast will be out before the book is. So the book's out on February the 7th. It's called uh, The Autonomous, let me get the exact title, The Autonomous Enterprise by Sarah Burnett, isn't it? Um, powered, powered by AI, yes. Absolutely. Powered by AI. And that will be on the BCS Bookshop, won't it? It will be, yes. And uh, there is a, it's actually already available for pre-order. Oh, lovely. Uh, if you okay. order now, you get 25% off, so... Not that I'm selling or anything. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. And we'll put the link in the blurb for the uh, for the podcast as well. Uh, thank you so much uh, for speaking to us, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.